I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Shiva. Hi, my name is Shiva, and I'm powerless over food. Shiva. I have to say that slowly, or else I could forget. And, uh, and if I don't look you in the eye, then it just doesn't mean as much. I've learned that here. There aren't really any words that I could express or articulate that can explain the depth of my gratitude today, right now in this moment, that, that I'm here, that I even know about this program, uh, that I'm willing to show up today, and the tremendous uh, miracle that I am so blessed to be a part of. If you don't believe in miracles, uh, if you don't believe in a power greater than yourself, God consciousness, whatever you want to call it, I ask you to look around the room, look at the people who are sitting next to you, because you're swimming in miracles at this very moment. You know, I see people in this room who I've had the the honor to know and to hear their story. And there are people among us who have walked through such unspeakable hell and to come out the other side still here, still abstinent, no matter what. And I don't care how greatly your struggle is today or what you might be going through in this moment. If you're here and if you're willing there is hope there is hope for myself I um, well since I've come in I've, I've always heard that our primary purpose is to carry the message I've been hearing about the message so I want to get right out in the open with the message that I want to carry tonight is that abstinence is possible. Freedom from the obsession of food is possible. I don't care if you can't stop eating, you can't stop throwing up, if you're anorexic, whatever your story is, there is real help here in this program and in the 12 steps. And I'm reminded of that every time I go to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. I'm here for one reason, that this program saved my life. I don't say that in a kind of cavalier or dramatic way. It's my fact. And it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Plain and simple. I mean, I am here because I relate to food the way an alcoholic relates to alcohol. The way a heroin addict relates to junk that is my relationship with food and it has been that way my entire life food is the one thing that always has obsessed has been my main obsession my main fixation and this program gives me well I'm here and I'm abstinent today because I want to be free from the obsession and I want to be comfortable in my own skin and I know if I keep showing up, 
and I know this because I've seen it in people who have been abstaining for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So I know program gives me these two things, which have eluded me my whole life. And that's the only reason why I'm here, because I'm sure we all have something better we could be doing on a Saturday evening. But I suspect we're all here for to bask in the glow of recovery, to take part in the great miracle that is this program. I think of rock bottom for myself. I think of uh, think of July 2001. I was invited to my cousin's wedding in Oregon. It's my first cousin, my uncle's oldest son, the first one in our family to get married. And I think the wedding was a week away, and I still hadn't confirmed whether I was coming or not. The only member of the family who hadn't sent the RSVP in. Why? Because I don't think I'd put on a suit for two years. And I knew, and in that time, I must have put on 50 to 80 pounds. And I knew that the suit that I had in my closet wasn't going to fit. And I can't tell you how terrified I was to put on that suit and try it on and, and then go have to buy a suit. And I couldn't even imagine what size I was going to be. It was absolutely terrifying. And I felt absolutely alone and isolated and scared. And every day that came closer to that wedding, how come Shiva hasn't responded yet? How come, surely you're coming? What do you... No, nah, I have some things i got to do. I might have some business commitments. I mean, this was a very, very important thing to the family. Something I wanted to do. But I was so ashamed. I remember sucking it up and going into that store and getting a new suit. And it was a really difficult experience. I think it was a size 50, maybe in 52, I don't remember. Uh, so in that summer, I was well over, I was over 315 pounds. I don't know what it was exactly. That was the last time I weighed in. I'm down over 100 pounds from that weight today. You know, I'm not that person today that I was in July of 2001. You know, I know of freedom today, a dignity today that I never dreamed was possible for myself. You know, I looked myself in the mirror and I loved that person looking back with all the faults, with all the places I still have to go in my recovery. I have a lot of respect for that guy looking back in the mirror today. And that is new. That is spiritual progress that they've talked about since the day I came in. That's why I talk about my respect and reverence and gratitude for this program. Because without this, I thank God today I'm under no illusion that if I walk out, that goes away. You know. I also think of a time, maybe it was a little before that time in July of 2001, maybe it was in February, when I was getting on a plane I think it was Southwest Airlines. And the plane was about to take off in five minutes. 
flight attendants were rushing by to check everybody's seatbelt was on. I put on my seatbelt and it wouldn't fit. And that had never happened before. That was scary. That was absolutely demoralizing. I have to ask for a seatbelt extension for the first time in my life. And yet I still couldn't stop. I probably put on 20 or 30 pounds in that year before I got abstinent from that. It still wasn't enough because I'm completely obsessed with food because I am a food addict. I have some pictures that I want to pass out. The first one is that me in that suit in July of 2001. And you can see that I look at these pictures and I don't know who that guy was. And I keep them and I look at them every so often because it's terrifying to me. Every time I want to throw my absence in the toilet, it hasn't happened that often, but should it ever comes up, these pictures are really good reminders of the dark side, the, the, the demonic hell that is the depths of this disease. Um, let's pass them out and you can look for yourself. Um, I have a respect for the disease that I never had before. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends in my life, a lot of people I love in my life who are serious addicts with alcohol, with drugs. My oldest friend uh, died when we were 20 years old from a heroin overdose. And I didn't even know he was using heroin. But his relationship with that stuff was my same... You know, this program has allowed me to, to come clean for the first time in my life with my relationship with food. And it was then that I was only able to, to get abstinent, when I was able to just come out with it and say, wow, I am an addict, but with food. I never knew it was okay. I thought, you, you know, people had that with drugs, with alcohol, but with food, is such, there's so much shame involved in this disease. So much guilt, at least for me, um, and isolation, and denial, and the feeling of being a freak and being abnormal and being, you know, as I said, just not comfortable in my own skin. But before I took the first step, I was, you know, a lifetime in the disease. I uh, grew up in Westchester, New York, which was a very affluent suburb of Manhattan, and all I could compare it to out here is like white, like, uh, you know, Irvine white, you know, Colgate white, you know, just very white. And my parents were uh, hippies with a lot of conviction who had uh, hung out with spiritual people and spent some time in India and uh, lived there for a few years with various saints and gurus and came back uh, and had a son and I'm an only child and uh, named me Shiva which is the name of a, a Hindu deity for the god of creation and destruction and uh, a lot to live up to 
and you might be able to imagine, you know, myself being in kindergarten in, you know, the suburb and Shiva, that's an interesting name. Uh, what does that mean, going over to other children's houses and, you know? Yet, I was also born and raised Jewish. I was bar mitzvah, so I classify myself as a Hindu, you know. Uh, you know, I, I had some meditation and yoga practice before my bar mitzvah, you know. It was uh, very interesting. Um, a very interesting experience. But, so I always felt out of place and not like the other kids, and especially when it came to eating. My parents were vegetarians. Way before it was cool to be vegetarian, I know now yoga is very cool and vegetarianism is very cool. I know out here in California you guys invented the concept of health food. And, uh, but I assure you, back in the 70s in New York, McDonald's was very cool. And uh, I'd never heard of a Happy Meal before until I started watching Saturday morning cartoons. And... Um, you know, with Frosted Flakes, all these stuff that was not in my, I had, you know, the Kashi puffed white re, uh, rice cereal in my, you know, some crazy kind of brand, you know, whole grain, I don't know what, but what is, you know, what's Tony the Tiger and Toucan Sam, you know, I never, these were wonderfully adventurous, lovable creatures on the television, you know. I'd be watching TV and Star Wars had just come out and I was very, you know, fascinated with pop culture and um, music and movies and Saturday morning cartoons and just wanted to be like all the other kids. So I'd go to other kids' homes to play. It was very social. And I remember maybe, you know, like being like six, seven, eight years old and going right to the fridge and the freezer and the cupboards of other kids. I'd go over there, hi, how you doing? I made a beeline right for the, the pantry there. Fascinated by what was in there what they had and uh, I think you know it was maybe before I was 10 years old I had my first you know encounter with McDonald's and you know I just wanted to be normal but you know I remember between that and then I think when I was maybe six my my aunt had given me a lollipop and it was like a hit of crack for me I remember that euphoric wow what is this I didn't know this existed and I was high. I was a little junky with that lollipop. I mean, I remember that that state. And I guess that taste has never really left my mouth because it was just... I just felt whole. I felt great. Like it was the solution. That was a really bad seed that was planted that day in those early days of childhood. And I started to put on a little more and more weight and I think by the time I was 12, I was maybe 20 pounds overweight, maybe 30. And my father, you know, my parents were, I would definitely say they were compulsive over years, you know, if I had to guess. My father, uh, you know, had a, his name was Mohan, everyone called him Mo, and he had uh, the infamous Mo Bagel Grip. His friends used to make fun of the way he hold bagels on Sunday mornings and you know yeah Sunday mornings were about bagels and it was about food it was about you know different days were different themes for what you had for dinner um, and then you know eventually it became <laughs> you didn't need a day to uh, <laughs> whatever you wanted it was just about that you didn't need an excuse for what day of the week it was or what time of day it was um, so I think when I was 12, my father was really freaked out 
he was battling with his weight and that his only child was becoming fat and it scared the shit out of him. And so what did he do? He thought it would be a great idea to nip this in the bud and have weekly weigh-ins. So he'd have a clipboard and every Sunday morning he would get me on the scale and with his clipboard and notate what was going on. And God forbid I gained if I gained a quarter of a pound, I'd be punished. And what would you know, be taken away from me, the only things that I love to do. Play with my friends and go to the movies. And I remember being like on a Saturday night, being with my friends at McDonald's, all my friends were normal. And I remember eating, you know, a Big Mac and a large fries at 12 years old and a large Coke. You know, nothing that a child should have any business consuming. Knowing tomorrow morning I'd be getting on that scale with my father and being made to feel like a piece of shit. I mean, there was never any physical abuse in my family, but my father has the kind of tongue that, you know, for me it was the equivalent. Sometimes I wish, you know, he'd hit me instead of, and just shut up. It was very painful. And um, I just wanted to be close with him. And so that's how deep the obsession was at 12, was that I knew it was in store for me the next morning, yet I still couldn't stop. And it was like being made to feel to uh, walk the plank, you know, every morning, every Sunday morning, that I knew what I'd done the night before, and here it was time. So a lot of fear, waking up in the morning with fear. And, and today, I still wake up in the morning with a certain fear, a certain anxiety. And it probably has something to do with that. I'm not sure. But um, luckily, this program, I don't have to wait to get abstinent to figure that out. What this kind of, I stop and then I have plenty of time to get to the root of it and that's what the steps are about and I'll talk about that in a few minutes um, I went to uh, so they put me in a Weight Watcher camp at 13 and uh, I was terrified and then I got there I was the skinniest kid in the camp you know there were kids who were my age I was a 14 year old kid there who was 300 pounds there was a 15 year old kid there who I'm sure isn't alive today he was 500 pounds I'm sure he's not alive today and I learned a thing or two, a few tricks about compulsive overeating. And we had food parties. We got down. We snuck food into camp. Ones of us were in better shape. Um, were able to hike, you know, four miles outside of camp. And I was like Tony Soprano. I'd bring back a, you know, the Godfather here. You know, what do you want? How much for a Snicker bar? Ten bucks? You know, wheeling and dealing. It was great. And. Uh, even then, you know, a snicker bar was a hot commodity, believe me. Um, so we'd leave camp. Most of us, you know, there's that picture that's going around. I looked like an anorexic. I, don't worry, it was only for a week. But I had just gotten back from, from fat camp and, uh, you know, a little emaciated there. Maybe one of the happiest weeks of my life. Um, and what would happen was we'd all put on the weight that we would get, uh, lose gain it back within a few months, if not a few weeks, some of us. You know, everyone was important. There was some serious bonds made at that camp. And we felt like we were normal, that we had beaten it. But we weren't taught any skills how to live. It's another thing that separates this program from, from Weight Watchers or anything else I've ever tried. Is that we had no skills. We had no way to deal with it in the real world. And so we'd get out and every summer we'd get back and put on sometimes twice as much as what we had to deal with the month before. We'd always talk about, oh yeah, let's get together in a few months, we'd see each other. 
Nobody wanted to see each other after two months. Everyone was so embarrassed and humiliated. We didn't understand why. So, you know, I spend a lot of time talking about how it used to be, but I really want to talk about, you know, recovery here. Um, parents got divorced. My uh, couple years later, I think it was 14 or 15, my mother ran off with my shrink, who I'd been seeing. So, talk about some trust issues. I had a ton of them. Uh, found out my father was running a Studio 54 type, you know, nightlife at his office on Fifth Avenue in the city. And I mean, I've heard some stories of womanizing like I can't even imagine. But you know, my family was pretty screwed up in that department. Um, I felt very alone. So it was about that time my friends started doing drugs, you know, marijuana, psychedelics drinking, you know, going to uh, Grateful Dead concerts and, and so on and so forth and, you know, watching Cheech and Chong movies and they would be binging their brains out at 3, 4 in the morning and I would pretend like I was whacked out like they were because I could eat like how I wanted to eat during the day. It was acceptable. So the weight started to gradually come on but I always remember always feeling like I could eat whatever I want but I'll never, you know, I might like be fat but I'm, it's never going to get to a point of you know, I weigh 300 pounds. Never going to get out of control. It's, I never imagined I would ever turn into the guy who's in those pictures. I never imagined. And that's why when I woke up one day and realized the wreckage I had put myself in with this disease that I was... I never dreamed that it would get so bad. Um, so it just... It was absolutely progressive. And I have no doubt that if I didn't come in and get abstinent, you know, I don't know where I would be today. I imagine I'd be over 400 pounds. And I'm five, six and a half. I don't know how much I could physically sustain over that. It was that summer of 2001. Um, my father had been visiting me from that wedding, and he saw how horrifying... He hadn't seen me in two years and was freaked out to see how heavy I'd gotten. And he'd watch me sleep, and I developed a near-fatal case. What I'd find out later would be a near-fatal case of sleep apnea, and um, which means that the fatty tissue was so thick in my throat when I'd go to sleep that I couldn't... I thought I was getting sleep, but yet I wasn't getting any sleep, and I'd be suffocating myself in my sleep. So much so I found out when I finally took a sleep test, an episode, eight, an average of 80 apnea episodes an hour. So 80 times an hour, I would stop breathing for 10 seconds, but I have to wake up to take a breath. The oxygen level in my blood was around 70%, and I think anything below 90 was abnormal and unhealthy. I've fallen asleep more times at the wheel driving home at night. I could have bought the farm a thousand times by now fall asleep during the day in business meetings and it became this joke but I lived the life of a narcolepsy somebody who I, I got no rest no peace and my father visiting me would see this and he was freaked out he said look some ex-girlfriend of his had told him about OA and you gotta try this or else you're gonna either have to get an operation or you're gonna die and I was scared to death I was scared shitless beyond the point and 
I went to a meeting. It was an OA How meeting. It was the closest meeting at the closest time. We looked it up on the internet. I don't know what the difference between how or regular. It was OA. It was five minutes from where I lived, and it was an hour from when I looked it up on the internet. And I went in with my dad, and it was me and maybe about five other women. And I said, what the fuck am I doing here? I got nothing in common. Um, and there was a woman here, there. We'd all, they all shared, and, and it was just, I immediately felt the connection. Talking about being food addicts, being powerless over food. All this stuff, I just said, I couldn't, I was just kind of speechless, and then it came my turn, do you want to share? And, yeah. And I just came out. I'm an addict. I just, I don't know if I stood up, but it felt like, you know, for the first time in my life, able to just, for just an instant, come clean on my relationship with food. And there was a woman who was at that meeting who um, came up to me afterward, and she said, I heard you share, and I feel your pain. And I want you to know that there's a solution here, that there's a way out, and that you don't have to die from this. I've been abstinent for a while, and I heard a bit of her story. She had been abstinent through some you know, horrendous previous history with the disease before she got abstinent. And she was sharing with me that it's possible. And she was looking me in the eye, saying, I feel your pain. And she said, I'm buying you this book. It wasn't the, the 12 and 12. It was the stories of Readers Anonymous. And she goes, I don't want any money from you. I'm buying you this book. Please keep coming back. You don't... There's, there's real help here. I didn't get abstinent until a few months later, but it was her genuine kindness that kept me coming back. I will never forget it as long as I live. There's no way I could possibly pay that back to her. It's just what we do in this program. We take care of each other. So be kind to the newcomer. I share this story. Because be kind to the newcomer because you never know just a little bit of genuine kindness, how far that can go for somebody how much that means that they changed my life. The other day that changed my life was the day I got abstinent. My first abstinent meal was Thanksgiving of that year. I went to the meeting in Palms Park and I saw what long-term recovery looked like. And that's why the message for me is that it's possible. Because it wasn't until I could really see the overwhelming evidence that it's possible that I could get abstinent. And on that day, on Thanksgiving, there are all, I mean, the New Year's Eve of alcoholics for food addicts, right? Thanks fucking giving. Pardon my language. But you understand what I'm talking about. Thanksgiving my whole life had been how much food I could shove in my face, in my stomach, and how I can go to town and just massacre myself. How much I can go. And I was looking at a couple hundred compulsive overeaters, food addicts, every facet of the disease, bi, gay, straight, hundred pounders, you know, people who weighed under a hundred pounds. I mean, people were talking about throwing up a hundred times a day. Everyone was represented there. And there was people with 20 years of abstinence, 100-pound weight loss, 200-pound weight loss, 20 pounds weight loss that it kept off for 10 years, 15 years. 
I was filled with such gratitude that there was no way possible that I could go to that Thanksgiving meal and do what I had been used to doing. I had one plate of food. I was comfortably full. And I was filled with God's grace. Thanksgiving that day was about being grateful. And boy, was I grateful. And I'll never forget that. And that was the day that changed my life. My first sponsor, who I began my journey with him, I think two days after that, I said, well, how does one get abstinent? What is abstinence? And he said, well, you know what? Let's um, call me tomorrow. We'll talk about what you're going to eat, and uh, we'll get started then. I said, I'm glad you mentioned tomorrow, because there's one more all-you-can-eat sushi place that I used to go to, and I'm just going to get one more binge out of the way for all time's sake, and I'm glad you said tomorrow my whole life have been about tomorrow thank God this guy could smell and see my bullshit from a mile away <laughs> said ask me something again that changed my life so why don't we go outside right now and he asked me this question he goes why don't you start why don't we start today why don't we start today I never heard that before I never always been about tomorrow so we went outside we told him told him what I was going to eat that day and he said I want you to go home and I want to write you to write down every single food that you can't eat that you know if you're abstinent you cannot eat you got to get still and figure out you know in your heart what abstinence is by now you've been to enough meetings you, you're absent on Thanksgiving what's not abstinent then write down a list of foods you can eat and write down a list of foods you're not sure about. And I got still and I, it just came out of me. For a half hour I wrote and I looked at all these things that I knew I couldn't eat. And this was my diet. I realized how I got to be 315 plus pounds. I was eating all these foods all the time. I'm amazed what I don't do today. You know, Sunday mornings is about serenity Sunday for me what I would hazard to say or feel my belief is probably the greatest OA meeting in the world and it's right in our backyard and that's where I met my, my second sponsor who's been my sponsor now for about a year and six months and the guy respond, you know, who worked with me on this food plan where I was able to lose all this weight and uh, Sunday mornings used to, for me used to be about sleeping till one in the afternoon getting up eating two bagels piled sky high probably an omelet, probably just a day of food. I'm up, I'm of service, I'm basking in the glow of recovery. And that's the spiritual progress that's in this program. And I remember after I left my first sponsor, um, because he wanted me to call him at 6 in the morning, and <laughs> I wasn't willing to go to those lengths at that time. And I was flying solo for about a couple months, and it was scary. It was scary, but I was abstaining from all the foods that I was using to get high. Um, you know, I wasn't eating. I mean, my first 30 days of abstinence, I was used to eating five slices of pizza five days a week. Now, to go from that to not eating any pizza, I knew was not realistic. So what I did is I said, okay, what's a sane amount of pizza? What's a healthy amount in a meal? Two slices. That sounds abstinent. So I said, if I'm going to have pizza, I could eat two slices in one meal, and that's it. Anything else is breaking my abstinence. 
somehow I only ate pizza once in that first 30 days. I just didn't want it. The obsession, I don't know where it went, but it went away. But then, you know, flying solo for a couple months, I was barely hanging on. And I remember Roy being at Serenity Sunday leading the meeting and talking about doing the deal. If you're serious about recovery, you want to be in this program, you get a sponsor and you're doing the deal. I just hear his voice in my head, deal. Do the freaking deal. And then I remember seeing my sponsor who had come back. He'd been in Europe, I think, for a while. He was talking about he lost, I think, 80 plus pounds or 90 pounds in this program. I said, what? This is a guy who looks totally normal, healthy, spiritual, believer in the steps. I wanted everything he had. And I was willing. And that was the other day that kind of sealed the deal for me in this program. Because I went up to him and I said, I want what you got. He said, are you, you know, are you willing to do anything for victory over food? I said, yes. He still wouldn't be my sponsor. I got to talk to my sponsor. I'm not sponsoring yet. I just took my candle. I called him every other day for two weeks till he said yes, because I knew he was my guy, and I knew I could get somewhere. And we take care of each other in this program. You know, I'm constantly amazed what people do for each other in this program and the power that, are in, that is in these 12 steps. I have a friend who's just sober, I think, almost 10 years in AA. Before I got in the program, or right when I got in, he said, abstinence is cool, and it's going to change your life, but the recovery is in the steps. And after doing my fourth step and my fifth step, I finally see what he's talking about. And I have a reverence for the steps and for the profound wisdom in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous which our program's based on. I need a lot of reminders and reasons to keep coming back because the disease is so hideous, cunning, baffling, and powerful. That's why I keep showing up in meetings to remind myself, be reminded by the fellows, by the great miracle that we're all a part of, that it's possible. And I remember the Candlelight Promises meeting that was in December of that year that I got abstinent. I was maybe abstinent a month. And I want to read these promises because I can't read them enough. Because I see people week after week who really work in this program. These promises are coming true for them. And some of them have really come true for me. Holy cow. Who knew? You know, Jenny Craig ain't offering me that. The Zone Diet is not offering me that. This is real. Page 83 in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is uh, where these promises are located. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. 
They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. I almost fell out of my chair when I heard that. When I, uh, when the We Care books are passed around, I always write 449. I remember being a month in when Don P. turned me on to that page in the big book. And in this book, it's on page 417. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life, unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept my life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. I can't hear that enough either. You know, that's how I've been able to stay abstinent. And every day of abstinence is is just a miracle for myself and and as I as I get to hear for for all of you. And I'm grateful for one day at a time. I'm grateful for this program. I'm grateful to be here to abstain no matter what. And uh and it's just today. So congratulations on your birthday, Mike. A victory for one is a victory for all. Thank you for letting me share today.